Hello and welcome to part 3 of March Monster Madness where I look at the Ghoulies franchise. Why this dusty old long since dead franchise I hear you ask? Well the truth is I needed something to fill up March Monster Madness and I didn't really feel like doing the troll duo, the worst movies in history. Well what am I anyway? Hmm. Also if you google Gremlins, the Critters franchise and Ghoulies go hand in hand. So why not? I remember seeing this as a kid and it scared me. In fact, it gave me a phobia of things coming up the loo while I was using it, which I know happened in countries such as Australia, but not so much Scotland. And I also always check the seat for a spider, since arachnophobia was another movie that gave me the creeps. Anyway, on with the show. Starring people I've never heard of, Peter Lapis, Lisa Pelican, Michael Des Bars and Jack Nance, directed by Lucia Berfersini. The movie opens up on an extreme close-up of the ghouly puppet, which I thought for a second was a dog. Then it shows a pseudo-satanic ritual, and out walks the horned leader, wearing a veil over his head and a goat's head on his head. He removes the veil to show two terrible green contacts and I'm on the floor laughing immediately. Some mumble jumbo bullshit satanic phrases later and a white robe wearing minion, no not the super annoying little bastards from the Despicable Me movies but an actual minion, hands over a baby to the leader and he's about to sacrifice it when the mother saves it by placing a medallion on it. Now see, I've seen better theatrics at an Alice Cooper gig this guy does not cut it with the 80s shoulder pads and fingerless glove look. However, with the medallion around the baby's neck, it cannot be harmed even with cheesy 80s lighting effects. So the leader throws a hiss of it and has the baby removed. He kills the baby's mother instead as two not hand puppets gullies hold her down as something bursts out of her chest alien style. As the camera cuts to the rat looking gooey, grinning menacely at the camera. We then hear a voiceover from an unnamed narrator after some long ass credits using music straight out of Batman 89. Wait a minute here, did Tim Burton rip this off? Hmm. As he explains the baby he saved from the curse and has kept it safe ever since. However, his father had died messily off camera years earlier. So I'm guessing the cult leader was his father then as the movie never fucking says. We then meet young couple Rebecca, played by Lisa Pelican, and Malcolm, played by Michael Des Bars, as they tour the grounds of his newly inherited mansion. Malcolm finds a weird little gravestone, which Rebecca tells him not to touch, and out of the shadows comes Wolfgang, played by Jack Nance, as Malcolm tells her he's the green keeper. However, Wolfgang doesn't say a word to her and just stares her down. Back in the house, Rebecca is looking around the house's library and mocks all the books on dark magics until she sees a rat and freaks out. So Malcolm tells her to go clean upstairs as he goes into the basement and finds a secret passageway which she investigates, finding some sort of pentagram star on the floor and a small wooden box in which she finds his father's Jonathan Graves, played by Peter Lapis's robe and a notebook. So I guess he was the cult leader then. So of course, in a typical 80s horror movie style, they throw a party with a house looking a lot like it 
fell out of the Knights of the Demons franchise. We meet Jonathan's friends, and this is where I notice I get the names completely fucking wrong because cheap itties horror movies don't give you fucking names, and I fucked up. Malcolm is actually played by Michael Des Barnes, and Jonathan is played by Peter Lapis. See, mental note, writers, directors, producers, editors, name your fucking characters. Anyway, we meet Mike, played by Scott Thompson, and Mark, slash Toadboy, played by Ralph Seymour, who has a habit of using a Gotham-like voice to talk, calling himself Toadboy. So off goes Mike, hitting on anything in a skirt as he heads into the kitchen looking for more beer. And he chats up Donna, played by Mariska Herringate. After some terrible 80s breakdancing, at least I think that's what it was supposed to be, from Dick, played by Keith Joe Dick. I think that was his name anyway. Again, this movie doesn't fucking say. We also meet Eddie, his best friend and I think lover, played by David Dayton. He helps him pick up all his drugs that have fallen out of his pockets because that's funny, right? Having a stoner laden with drugs at a party. They all decide to go down to the basement and play with some dark magic. That Jonathan read in her little book he found earlier. I noticed the symbol that Jonathan draws is straight out of the later Paranormal Activity movies, which I guess they ripped this off then. Some mumble jumble later and open mockery from the group as Jonathan's spell doesn't work, and they find one of their friends, Robin, played by Charlene Kathleen, god what a stage name, has gone a-missing, so off they were looking for her and mock Jonathan some more. Meanwhile, in Wolfgang's room, we see a lot of religious items and iconography, and he's suddenly awakened from his deep sleep in a panic, as the gateway from hell opens in the basement, as a teeny tiny little rat-faced demon appears upstairs. Looking for the toilet, Dick and Eddie find a kid-sized doll on a chair. And this is where I find out it's actually Mike, not Dick. See, people, this is why you should name the fucking characters when they appear on screen, you fucking lazy writer. Anyway, the doll moves to the closet and decides to leave. Outside, Donna, I think that's what she's called, is looking at the gravestone. As Jonathan and Dick find her just sitting at it, it's actually Robin Barraby, not Donna. The next day, Jonathan tells Rebecca he's leaving school to fix up the house, as the house has a hold on him. So she goes off to school, leaving him to clean out the junk from the house in a Rocky-style montage. In a voiceover from Wolfgang, he tells us the house and the evil one has a grip on Jonathan and the evil will soon grow. Meanwhile, down in the basement, Jonathan digs out his father's robes and draws a pentagram on the floor and preps other magical items. Later, Rebecca comes home and Jonathan shows her the magically tidied up house and gives her the talisman which he made earlier during the montage, telling her it'll protect her from anything and everything and never to remove it. Much later that night, at the pond, Jonathan is dressed in his father's robe and is trying to conjure up something. Frankly looking ridiculous, doing so with a huge trident spear and a chalice. After some more mumbo jumbo, four puppets, oh sorry, demons appear. These puppets look beyond cheap and barely move. In fact, you can actually see the puppeteer's fingers showing through some of the mouth gaps. 
he lets them have free range over the house and grounds only they must obey him at every and all times the next morning in the basement he makes it rain and have a tempest storm as the ghoulies look on rebecca comes home early and finds him in his ridiculous outfit so she storms off into the kitchen to make dinner and the two fight until he promises never to do any more dark magic so cut to later that night and the two of them are making love with one of the ghoulies looking on and casting a spell on rebecca under the bed unfortunately for jonathan he can't stop chanting some magic as he pushes becca too far and she leaves him so in the basement with more 80s theatrics he casts another spell and two dwarfs or little people or whatever the fuck it is pc to call them nowadays appear and he gives him a drink of wine while wearing glow in the dark contacts and make him look cross-eyed the two imps drink the wine after he tells them they'll be free once they drink from the chalice if they don't earn first. Got it. See his outfit looks utterly ridiculous. It looks like a see-through bedsheet and some rubber shoulder pads. This is where we find out the imps are named Grizel, played by Peter Rishk, and Greedy Gut, played by Tamara Detrux. Jonathan asks for knowledge and power and is told by Greedy Guts that he must do a ritual on a full moon with several other victims however is told by grizzle it is truly thought of danger much later that night becca comes back for him begging him to leave the house however he refuses and shows him her his eyes which are now even more cross-eyed so she snaps off the talisman and runs off only to be stopped by the imps and some magic another voiceover from wolfgang telling the evil one has now had full power over him so jonathan holds a dinner party and all his friends show up not noticing the ghoulies are in the food and weirdly wearing sunglasses jonathan casts a spell on him all during a toast and this is where the movie goes off the wall with the table disappearing and all of them wearing white bedsheets after more mumble jumble chanting for everything everyone including the ghoulies and the imps the gravestone outside pushes up showing malcolm graves jonathan father's name and a dummy arises from the grave the dummy turns into a zombie dad as jonathan finishes his spell the room changes back into a dining room with his friends no longer wearing the bed sheets so jonathan bids them all good night and tells them to each pick a room meanwhile outside zombie dad has arisen tells the ghoulies he is their one true master and they must obey him and him only it cuts to the house as donna and dick pick the room with the demonic doll on it have sex as outside robin and mark fall around near the pond while mike and eddie which i think are a couple are sharing a bottle of vodka outside more falling around by mark and robin causing mark to drop robin's bracelet in the pond as he finished fishes it out only to be attacked by a ghoulie puppet so both of them are screaming as both are getting attacked by two fish-like ghoulie puppets as mark and eddie get stoned after making love dick leaves donna to get some water alone with the demonic doll which comes alive poltergeist style outside zombie dad blows the doors off the front patio doors and walks in turns into a woman seduces dick killing him with a freddy krueger style huge tongue upstairs 
Jonathan releases Becca from her trance, on way to tuck her into bed, leaving her to sleep it off. Looking for matches to light his joint, Mike gets knocked out by the imps and dragged outside, where they try to kill a ghoulie. So, Eddie looks for Mike or another drink, gets killed by the imps by tossing a ghoulie to his face, chewing it off. Back upstairs, Robin awakes to find two ghoulies in bed with her, so she runs away only to be killed by the demonic doll by turning into a huge, terribly cheap looking ghoulie. And this is where you can actually see the puppeteer's head poking through the dummy or puppet or doll, whatever the fuck you want to call it. In the basement, Zombie Dad calls for all the ghoulies to him as, ev as every ghoulie, including Jonathan, who has somehow died. Oh, wait, no. This movie is a fucking mess. We find Jonathan is in a trance as Becca wakes up to find her friend has turned into some sort of snake. Hmm. As her talisman glows, she snaps it off, causing the ghoulies to attack her as she falls down the stairs to her death. Jonathan takes her dead body down in a basement, ignoring seven dead bodies of his friends in their bedsheet outfits somehow. Finally, after finding his robes are missing, does he look to find his dead friends. Just as his father, Malcolm, comes out of the shadows with the imps in tow, telling him he is the one true master that is going to steal Jonathan's soul as Jonathan gets sucked into the ground. However, Jonathan fights back for spell, so his dad brings Becca back to life, which the imps call, it's a trap, as she falls back down dead again. So Malcolm force lifts Jonathan off the ground and smashes him into both walls before saying what every daddy says, if you know what I mean. Kiss me so your life will be mine, so that I may be young again forevermore. However, before he kisses him, Wolfgang comes in, throwing the trident spear into Malcolm's back while dressed as a cosplaying Merlin. Something out of Big Trouble in Little China happens as Wolfgang and Malcolm face off with dueling lightning effects, bringing down the house around him, and I'm on the floor laughing at this ridiculous fucking ending. As Wolfgang teleports Malcolm back to hell, all the dead bodies come back to life magically, and they all run for their lives in their now fully packed cars. In Jonathan's car, he tells Mark and Becca that everything is over as the ghoulies pop up from behind Mark as credits roll. So that was Ghoulies, a truly bug nuts off the wall comedy horror with cheap looking puppets and cheesy effects, OTT acting, very badly edited, written and directed. However, if you love that slide, it's a 4 out of 10 movie. Up next, Ghoulies 2. So after the success of Ghoulies 1 comes Ghoulies 2 in 1988. And to my surprise, Ghoulies 1 was a success, making well over $35 million on a $1 million budget. Starring Damien Martin, Royal Dano, Phil Fontacaro, Jay Downing and Kerry Ramsen. Directed by Albert Bond. The plot. The Ghoulies run amok in an amusement park, killing all that mistake them for attractions. Hmm. The movie opens on a travelling circus called Satan's Pit, with a nephew and uncle arguing over the size of the filming and also discussing the accountant taking over in the morning. After some long-ass credits, we see a man getting chased by three minions while carrying a bag full of ghoulies. We find out the man is a minister and dumps the ghoulies into a vat of toxic waste, which the garage 
has Hadley laying around. However, he gets killed by a flying gully as the truck and the trailer pulls up looking for coolant to cool down the engine. Larry, played by Damien Martin, the nephew, goes looking for some sealant while his uncle Ned, played by Royal Dano, looks over the engine. The gullies make their way onto the trailer and I got to say the puppets look much, much better. Less rubber hand puppets and more like actual puppets with greater detail and better facial movements. Also, you get to see them move and walk around in some great 80s stop-motion animation. The next morning, yuppie Phil Harden, played by Jay Downing, pulls up in his flashy Porsche into the setting-up circus and is greeted by Sir Nigel Pennyweight, played by Phil Carlo. He is told he is the new owner and he has to go off and wake up Uncle Ned, who's in a drunken stupor. Meanwhile, the gullies make themselves at home in a haunted house and I'm getting a lot of free stitches from these gullies. At the meeting, we meet Nicole, played by Kerry Ramsen, Larry's soon-to-be girlfriend, and I walks hard into the stage to tell the carnival folk they don't make money, they will be dropped. They're also told that if Satan's pit, sorry, Satan's den doesn't make money, it will be dropped for women's mud wrestling, much to Sir Nigel's distaste. In the Satan's Den, that looks much like a cheap Madame Tussauds to me, they discuss why the carnival isn't making much money, as they blame the new slasher movie every week, and kids are now laughing at beheadings and death. Later that day, we meet Patty, played by Ames Morton, the carnival slut, who tells her boss she's leaving, while holding her pussy, Muffy, which she later drops and it runs into Satan's pit, where she gets attacked by the gullies and is hacked up with a straight razor. Later that night, with the carnival in full swing, Uncle Ned reads from the spell book from the original gullies, casts a spell asking for imps and demons to appear, on what to drunkenly throw it down, putting on a top hat and pulling a rabbit from it, which happens to turn into a gully, which he tosses to the wall, until all four gullies appear, making him think he has some true magic powers. So off he runs to find his nephew and Sir Nigel. He finds Sir Nigel quoting King Leah, and he drags him to see his little gullies, which are hiding. So, of course, Larry and Nigel don't believe him, and they carry him off thinking he's a drunken old idiot. Inside the harem tent, Harden hits on Nicole, asking her if she's free for some quote-unquote questioning. Outside the carnival is in full swing as the attractions pull under punters, including Larry getting smart-mouthed by a bunch of kids and some douchebag teens. In they go, and the two bratty kids mock everything in sight, much like today's kids do. So the teen camp in the haunted house part and fool around, ditching their friend Merle, played by horror icon William Butler, voice and writer of the Ginger Dead Man movies. The two bratty kids, Eddie, played by Donnie Jeffcoat, and Leo, played by Christopher Burton, find the rat gully thinking it's fake, mock it until it spits on them. Very gremlin style. So the 13 year old kid throws a ninja star at it. Now, see, I know ninja stars were popular in the 80s, but come on, a 13 year old kid has a ninja star? Really? And to run off to find the quote unquote guys. The teens walk in and party as Bobby, played by John Pennell, spots the bat gully 
and pulls out a flip knife. How very 80s. As the bat ghoulie kicks out of his hand, scratching him, drawing blood. The cat ghoulie smashes Bobby's boombox. So he runs off, leaving the other two horny teens to fend off the ghoulies. As the rat ghoulie splurges over them three times, somehow sticking them together with his sticky splooge. Outside the Satan's den, the two kids spread the word about the ghoulies and a crowd all stampede over to buy tickets. Meanwhile, Bobby and his girl make it out okay, closely followed by the two horny teens still stuck together in a compromising position. Unfortunately for Merrill, he gets in a knee with the switchblade by the rat gully and is quickly strapped down to the rack and is stretched out and gets cut by the pendulum blade. Why does a carnival have a real pendulum blade is beyond me. Outside, a bunch of kids go in as Harden pressurises Larry for receipts. So, the two kids, Eddie and Leo, lead another group to the ghoulies as they wrap up Poor Merrill and stuff him into the coffin. He has now been halved in two by the pendulum blade. With the crowd watching and cheering, the ghoulies high-five each other in true 80s cheesy fashion. Harden hits on Nicole again and finds out her hidden past. So takes her into Nigel's trailer and they mock the teeny tiny furniture. In Uncle Ned's trailer, he comes to hungover and decides to try to control the ghoulies. He finds the broken boombox and a bloodied blade. Why would a travelling circus have a real guillotine blade and pendulum blade is beyond me. As Larry locks up, leaving Ned in the dark, he sees Nicole and Harden come out of the trailer and thinks something is up. Cops show up as Bobby and his girl is pissed about the bat gully, his boombox and also his friend Merle is missing. With his two horny friends are still stuck together. Meanwhile, Ned is left wandering around the teeny tiny haunted house in pitch black until he finds Merle's dead body and is attacked by the gullies. Outside, Harden bribes a cop and tries to get the situation swept under the rug until Ned throws on the lights looking for a magic book, which he finds in a trunk. However, is bitten by the sea creature monster ghoulie and fights off the rest. He reads from the book to make a pentagram, which he does in his own blood. He tries to send them back to hell, however, gets stabbed by the cat ghoulie with the switchblade only to, to pierce his pack of cards. So he mocks the ghoulies until the rat gooey sticks a life wire up his arse, shocking him to Larry and the cops find Ned's dead body, and Harden tries to cover it up yet again. The next morning, Harry is tinkering with the rig, and he snaps at Nigel for Nigel telling him to shut up shop, telling them this is his bread butter, and how else are they going to make money? Is he part of the Dwarf Association? Charmer he is. So, Sir Nigel alone in a Satan's den, fixing the fake bat, finds the bracelet belonging to what a fucker name is, and the goalies, so he runs off and hides. Later at night, Harden forces Larry out of his attraction via an armed guard and a court order, also firing him and Nigel. The rest of the carny folk set up as Larry packs his stuff at the Satan's den before taking one final tour of the place, in which he finds Nigel hiding in a trunk, who tells him about the ghoulies, so of course Larry doesn't believe him, until they come out of the shadows and attack him. 
He makes it out somehow by pulling an electrical cable, shocking the ghoulies, but not him. As he runs out, gathering all the carny folk to take down the ghoulies. With Sir Nigel trying to stop people entering the Satan's den, but failing badly, until Larry and the carny folk barge in. When we see Bobby and his friends about to get killed by the ghoulies, as the kids watch on, pointing and laughing. Larry and his kin chase the laughing kids and rescue Bobby and his friend from certain death. As the carny folk fight off the ghoulies, acting too much like gremlins now, Harden and Larry fight over the shotgun of the guard he took off them earlier. And if the ghoulies should be killed or not, blasting a hole on the side of the den, so the ghoulies run amok. A few things, why didn't the ghoulies try to escape the previous night or the morning? Also, I love the fact that the extras ignore the ghoulies as if they weren't actually there in the first place. <laughs> Lovely acting there. So, the ghoulies run amok again, acting too much like gremlins for my liking, and no one seems to notice a dozen or so little demons running around, knocking a muscle merry bully and killing a clown in a water dunk. Ghoulies cause yet more chaos running folk over with a dodgem and unlatching a plane on a merry-go-round type thing. Nigel comes up with the idea of using magic to Larry after telling him they tried guns, knives, clubs and fire. Larry finds the magic book as Harden finally gets his comeuppance while hiding in the loo with the sea creature biting off his air ghoulies. Meanwhile Larry tries to send him back to hell by using Sir Nigel and his head for Latin until the bat ghoulie swoops down, snatching the book out of his hands and dropping it in the ferris wheel's top bunk. So Nicole climbs up to get it back using her trapeze skills, her secret past, although why is she a room girl if she can walk on a tightrope? Hmm. She throws the book down and Nigel finishes the spell invoking a giant ghoulie, which eats the bat ghoulie and hunts down the others devouring them. This thing looks like something out of the Power Rangers Barrowy, with a cheap rubber suit. After killing all the ghoulies, it sits it sits on Sir Nigel. So he's carried off to his trailer by Larry and Nicole, where the barricade themselves in until Larry thinks a Molotov cocktail from inside will kill it. So he stuffs Sir Nigel's monster outfit, sticks the cocktail in its head and calls the giant ghoulie to it. It swallows the thing whole and blows it back straight back to hell, even though that's not how Molotov cocktail works. The next morning, and the carny folk tell the cops it was the teenagers of their heavy metal that caused the ghoulies to appear and attack. It's happy endings all round as Larry and Nicole drive over to the sunset, leaving Sir Nigel in charge of the carnival. However, the sea monster ghoulie is still on the toilet as credits roll. So that was Ghoulies 2, a fun 80s trash mini monster movie, 6 out of 10. Up next, Ghoulies 3, go to college. Let's hope they get some higher education. Three years. After the success of Ghoulies 2 comes the screwball comedy that is Ghoulies 3, go to college. Now, see, I can't find any information on this movie, so I guess it's on with the show. Starring... Kevin McCarthy, Eva LaRue, Patrick Labatrux, Billy Morissette, Jason Scott Lee, and introduction Matthew Lillard. Directed by John Carroll Belcher. The plot. A college professor brings the ghoulies to life 
and they terrorise the students and colleagues alike. The movie opens up on a model house straight out of Nightmare on Elm Street 3, where we see a geek getting chased by three gogs, which can talk now. And if I got a hint of three studios from the last movie, it's full on Larry, Curly and Mo. So he pulls out a comic book called Ghoulish Tales and starts chanting a spell, only for the ghoulies to literally flush him and them down the toilet to hell. We get a nice close-up of the comic book looking a lot like the comic book in Creepshow. Then it's 21 years later, modern day, aka 1991. It's your typical 90s college campus movie set up with a lot of stock footage showing campus life with students going about their daily business but oh no it's prank week as we see students rolling around a stuffed dead goat's mascot which is then stuck up a flagpole and other childish things such as TPing a tree putting the sprinklers on as female joggers run past at the opening prank a student loosens the screws on a janitor's mop causing it to run away from him down a staircase running over a hapless man spot Kane Hodder yes that Kane Hodder as the hapless man as he barrels into professor knocking him over isn't this funny tiki slapstick then it's to the frat house straight out of animal house which by the way brought the fraternity house system back sadly after it was destroyed or dismantled rather in the late 1950s However, due to the success of Animal House in the late 70s, it was brought back in 1979. Anyway, inside the house we meet Wes, played by Billy Morissette, writing stuff on a wall, which he knocks a tile from the floor and a comic book appears. So he reads from it and oh no, the creepy ass toilet bowl with three demonic heads on it from the opening glows green and a hand appears however he's pulled away and doesn't finish the spell we meet the frat house leader skip carter played by evan mckenzie proudly boasting about his lame ass pranks such as making a water fountain spray straight and a bench that flips backwards lame on storms professor ragnar horror legend kevin mccarthy who gets quickly soaked by a water bullying and of course blames our hero Hmm, skip. By the way, spot Matthew Lillard playing Stork, a typical geek with a bow haircut, bow tie, thick glasses, shorts, and a fucking briefcase. Rival frat house leader Hellman, played by John Johnson, is your typical rich boy too, wearing a stupid cheap crown made out of a deerstalker hat, with a merry-go-round stuck on it, looking absolutely fucking ridiculous as he is the quote-unquote king of pranks. Lame! Thank fuck, when I was in college back in the noughties, Britain didn't have these stupid fucking frat systems. Inside the college, we meet Urn, played by CSI's Eva LaRue, as Skip hits on her, as we find out there's trouble on paradise, as Skip's dumb obsession with these pranks has forced her into the arms of rich boy Hellman, another stereotype with dyed blonde Nazi-esque hair, shirt and tie, and up his own arse ego. In one of the classrooms, the late 80s, early 90s exploded, throwing up every single stereotype of the time, such as yo-yos, side ponytails, geek getting wedged, wedged, hell, even a boombox. So in walks Ragnar, trying to teach Pandora's box, but no one is listening. 
So he picks on Wesley and takes away the magic comic book. How the hell did these people get into college in the first place? Have they ever heard of aptitude tests in America? Hmm. Ragnar reads from the comic book. The spell to make the ghoulies appear, however, doesn't finish, so the fish ghoulie gets flushed again. Cut to a party at the frat house where we meet Kyle, played by Jason Scott Lee, as he hits on some skank who quickly shoots him down. The puns at this party are awful, such as We can't find our pizza. Do you have a big sausage? Oh, I haven't had any complaints yet. And she's getting a good licking. Maybe they should try stamps before checking his package. Ugh, terrible. Meanwhile, Ragnar is grading the pop quizzes he did earlier on marks all C or lower until he finds Skip and gives him an F minus. He then reads from the comic book yet again. Back at the party, Wes and his girlfriend finally stop sucking face enough to go up to a bedroom and play with, quote, the equipment. At the door, we meet Officer Barkus, played by Stephen Lee, the useless thorn in our hero's side, as they prank his electric golf cart. At Ragnar's office, he does some digging, finding out the comic is actually real, and he can turn into some sort of demon king creature, rolling over hell. Back at the frat house, and more 80s hijinks as Wes and his girl have sex, I think that's what they're doing, on an exercise bike while wearing crash pads, helmets and short shorts. Then Erin walks in the front door, fighting Skip in the arm of a half-naked girl with a buck's head stuck to her head. Hilarious, right? And oh my god, the puns. Quote, no one said it was a stag party, or she had too much alcohol. As Erin hands back Skip's letterman jacket, and it's over between the two, she rides off with Hellman's little scooter. In Ragnar's office, he finally conjures up the ghoulies, and as ever, the three studies with Fish, voiced by Patrick Penny, being Larry, Cat, voiced by Richard Kind, being Mo, and Rat, voiced by Bob Bergen, being Curly. It's slapstick all round from now on in, folks, so strap yourself in for this one. Before the ghoulies can have too much fun, i.e. spying on Wesley's sex games with Ragnar commanding them to appear to him, so he freaks out as Fish, Rat and Cat talk trash to him, so he sends him back to the frat house in a flash of lightning, back to Wesley's kinky sex games. However, Wes hears the ghoulies in the bathroom, Goes to investigate, running away from his sex-obsessed freaky girlfriend, finding the fish ghoulie in the toilet, which dunks him, the cat ghoulie in a sink, and the rat ghoulie, which sticks a toilet brush up his ass. Bye-bye, Wes, as he's flushed down the loo, leaving the ghoulies to trash the frat house, finding very 90s clothes in the closet. They all dress like 90s stereotypes, a rapper, a skater, and a preppy boy. After trashing the joint, they find the Frat House's beer hall, which is all like beers, fucking wimps, taking the very bottom beer, causing the pyramid to fall on them, all 2001 or so cans, because there's a joke about the 2001 music played as the refrigerator doors open. On to Skip, and his crony Mookie, played by Patrick Labertrux, pranking the preppy house, aka their rivals. Back to the goings that have now drunk all the beers and pyramids of empties. 
It slaps it all round as the rat girl drinks Drain X, causing him to have smoke coming out of his ears, complete with the train sound effects. Back at the rival frat house, Skip and Monkey tamper with Hellman's scooter, however the ghoulies finally trash it. The next morning, Skip and his frat guys return home to find the place has been trashed, although how the hell could they tell the difference after that hellacious party? And Wes is missing. Of course, they blame the prep frat house declaring war. Skip goes to Wes's girlfriend Veronica, played by Hope Marie Colton, and all she can do is hit on him as Erin walks in finding him fiddling with her bra so Skip and him and Hillman face off. Outside Skip and Mook find Hillman's scooter up a tree and in pieces so Barkus busts them as the ghoulies tinker with his golf cart, electrocuting him and my eyes roll with this terrible slapstick. Later that night, Ragnar demands the ghoulies to do his bidding as he starts a frat war between the houses. So the ghoulies steal the prank cow crown. Meanwhile, Barkus tries to get the sorority houses to hand over their underwear, but Erin doesn't fall for it as the ghoulies steal Barkus's cart and it's Pun after pun, also three stages sound effects galore as they crash into a flagpole. Moving on, the prep house finds the stupid crown as a missing and declare war on the other house. At the library, Skip tries to get Erin back with a romantic cup of coffee. She falls for it and arranges to have a date at eight. In Ragnar's office, the ghoulies hand over the pranking crown. Then he demands they kill him. As he's gone mad with power, he thinks he, if he dies, he gets to steal their powers. So, in walks Mrs. Boggs, played by Marsha Wallace, the voice of The Simpsons, Mrs. Kerbabo. She tells him the comic book is actually a one-off book from a medieval spell book, and a factory that produced it burned down mysteriously much earlier. Unfortunately for her, the cat Gooey grabs her by the tongue, pulling it out, just like Freddy in New Nightmare, letting it go, leaving her literally tongue-tied. After the cat got her tongue, pun. These jokes are terrible, folks, but this is the way the movie goes. Later, the sorority girls fend off the frat guys, led by Buff Buffy, no, not Sarah Michelle Geller, but Sherry Willis, as Veronica dances around run underwear to a terrible 80s mock rock song as the ghoulies perv on her. Meanwhile, the guys get jumped by topless sorority girls, hitting them with pills, and this is a 13-year-old wet dream just came true, as the ghoulies kill Veronica and steal the panties. The girls strip the guys with feathers and boobs flying everywhere. Then it's on to yet more wet dreams coming true, as the ghoulies spy on some girls in a shower, and of course some lewd jokes later, and the ghoulies faint. What is it with the 80s and 90s comedies? You can, you could have had fully naked women, but when it comes to the guys, all you get was an ass if you were lucky. What is Hollywood's hang-up with showing a dick? I mean, half the world has one. Jesus crinkies. Moving on. Back at the shower room, the ghoulies attack a hapless blonde by sticking a plunger to her face, pulling it, stretching her face, lunatic style, killing her. The next morning, by the way, I should say this is the same campus news in the great urban legend movie back in 1998. Barkus pulls over Skip about the state of his golf cart, 
Bonnie, which was left in and threatens him by expulsion. Or a fisticuffs, what the fuck he threatened him by. In the college hallway, Erin dumps Skip. Again, after the ghillies trashed her knicker drawer, stealing all her panties. So, when his frat boys show up, he grills them on what happened at the Soiety sisters, walk past with their boxer shorts proudly on display. Ragnar now has totally lost the plot and is drunk with power, threatens to throw out all the frat houses if one more prank is pulled. However, Skip said he's done with pranking, so Heldman blows up Ragnar's desk, framing Skip as Ragnar loses it, tossing Skip out of the college, so his frat boys decide to leave with him. At the frat house, Skip refuses to retaliate, so his boys walk out in disgust. Ragnar sets the ghoulies on Skip, as the ghoulies openly mock him time and time again. In the hallway, Hellman boasts about setting up Skip, as Erin overhears it pouring coffee down his trousers, walking off. Erin and Skip make up, as the ghoulies raid his house, as Skip and Erin are upstairs having sex with a dustbuster. Meanwhile, Hellman's lackey, Blaine, played by Griffin O'Neill, breaks in from the chemistry lab to leave a huge bomb. Stink bomb that is childish much. Hmm, this thing looks like something a Wily Coyote would have bought from the Acne Co. So the ghillies toss it out the window as it bounces down the road to, wouldn't you know it, Barkus sitting in his golf cart as he breaks the fourth wall, shouting what a lovely bomb, as it blows up Linuton style, leaving him completely unarmed, yet covered in black suit. At Ragnar's office, they find a place trashed and Mrs. Boggs' body in a coffin wearing the prank crown, so they run off only to be jumped by Hellman and his fuck buddies, as Skip puts it. Elrin runs off to call the police, however, is kidnapped by Ragnar, who has gone completely off the wall, as he gets the ghoulies to attack her. In the hallway, Hellman's ridiculous plan is to blow up the college offices using TNT, and for Skip to take the fall, handing him a bunch of TNT cartoon style, complete with TNT written on the side of it. After hearing Erin scream, Skip finally puts Hellman and his crew in their place by punching them all out. Back in the library, Ragnar has Eren tied up and stripped half naked because this is exactly what this movie needed, more boobs, as the ghoulies literally stamp all over her using a book stamp. Skip comes in to rescue her as Ragnar has turned into a moustache twirling bad guy as he lets the ghoulies loose on him, knocking down some bookshelves, pinning him down. However, Skip is not dead, shoots glue at the ghoulies with goofy glue in his squatty gun turning him into the speak no evil, see no evil, and hear no evil monkeys. Skip unties Urn just in time, as a sailing light falls, almost impaling Arn. And Urn tells him about the comic book, so he grabs it, setting the ghoulies on Ragnar. With the ghoulies killing Ragnar, he soaks up their powers, leaving his shell of a body in a pool of bubbling goo. Back at the frat house, Skip has to deal with Hellman, as back at the library, Ragnar has turned into the king of hell in a pile of goo that looks like a lot like porridge and split pea soup. In bursts the Ragnar gully, looking like something out of the Power Rangers or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's the 80s cartoon folk, or even the 90s movies. As he tells them all the people they have killed. Skip and Erin run upstairs to hide in the toilet, and this movie has went 
not only bug nuts off the wall, but is borrowing off the tracks into crazy town folks. So Skip flushes the comic book down the loo, and the Ragnar demon gets sucked down to hell. Barkus crashes into the frat house, blaming Skip for the bomb. However, he hands over Hellman, and he busts him with the TNT still in hand. It's happy endings all round, as Skip hands Mook the crown, but he refuses to wear it and hands it back to Skip. As some shit 90s rock music, music plays, and it cuts to the loo with the fish gully throwing a beer at camera as credits roll. So that was Gully's 3, a slapstick crazy goofball comedy with no horror and three stooges gags galore. But however, I liked it, so I'm going to give it 7 out of 10. It's just not a horror, folks, it's a comedy. That wraps up the Gully's franchise, except for part 4, which I can't find legally. So if you can, drop me an email at heresjohnnysreviews at gmail.com or tweet me at heresjohnnyspod. Come back next week for my review of Batman v Superman. Bye!